We greet you this morning in the name of Jesus. Certainly a privilege to be gathered in his house today and worshiping together as part of his family, believers. I was, I've been on the Midwest Program Committee for uh, my term expires here this winter. One of the side benefits of, of being on that committee, it's one of the, uh, um, what can I say, lower key committees to be on, not a lot of tension, not a lot of pressure. Uh, generally, at least that's the way I've found it. But one of the side benefits is there's a lot of sermon material circulated in that meeting. People lay out uh, program ideas, uh, topic ideas, and uh, so uh, we were together the other weekend uh, planning for the winter meetings, and uh, one of the uh, one of the sermon suggestions or ideas had to do with the church, and I I uh, I looked at that and I thought well it'd be interesting to use that sometime, and then along with uh, along with our meeting Tuesday evening, I was on my way home, and my phone went several times with people issues regarding church and uh, one of those questions that was asked me uh, I was asked whether I had the blueprints for this church building and I said no I said I have I do have other things I have minutes I have financial records but I I didn't have the blueprints and uh, I thought afterwards I should said, well yeah I do have the blueprints and you all have the blueprints for this church they're right here in within the covers of this book and uh, so hence that was the uh, birth of this sermon here this morning. I'd like to look at biblical rules for uh, successful church building. I, I left my imagination run as I, I meditated on some of those thoughts, and I, I thought, you know, could it be possible that any architectural engineering firm or architect could design a building to contain the whole church of Jesus Christ? Would that be possible? Uh, or how big would the structure have to be? I thought of the uh, tower in Dubai, 2,722 feet tall, I believe, close. Uh, you know, would we all, would Christians from all over the world be able to fill that structure? Would it contain them? Would we need one, two, three of them towers? I don't know. You know, as I thought about that, I thought, you know, really... Uh, and I imagine, you know, okay, what, okay, so we add another story to this and another story to this. And here in the middle of the prayer, we have this enormous tar to accommodate our congregational growth. <laughs> well, that's, uh, that's letting imagination run away. But uh, I don't think that's the Lord's will. And I think all of you probably would agree with that. Uh, you know, the church was mobile before mobile was a coined phrase in our culture today. Jesus, at the very beginning, said, Go ye therefore... Preach and teach and baptize. He wanted us to be spread out. He wanted his church. The structure, the building is secondary. While we appreciate this structure, we appreciate this building, you know, it's, it's a place of collective fellowship. It's a place of inspiration. It's a place of learning, teaching, and growing. But, you know, think of a building, a mega church here. I'm not interested. Uh, we need to spread out. <clears throat> I'd like to think this morning, first of all, about Christ's role in building the church and uh, draw some truths uh, as we think about that. Turn to Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. This is Jesus here in his earthly ministry, and he spoke to Peter. 
and uh, he was asking his disciples, uh, he was wondering about who people said that he was. And then he turned to the disciples there in verse 15 of Matthew chapter 16. He said, But whom say ye that I am? And then in verse 16, Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He clearly is the builder of the church. We need to give him recognition as to having the design, the concept, the thought, the function, the origin of the church, the structure as we know the church. It's God's design. It's Christ's design. He is the builder. I'd like to just turn to the New Testament, I mean to Hebrews, back further in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 8. Uh, verses uh, 2 and then verses 9 through 11. Hebrews 8, verses 2. A minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. You know, we've been talking Wednesday evening about the tabernacle. That was a very, very temporary uh, structure in which God's people worshipped and fellowshiped. And he's talking about a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. And then dropping down to verse 9. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt because they continued not in my covenant. And I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts and I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. And they shall teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. And I'll stop reading there. Have you observed Christ building his church today? Have you observed Christ building Prairie Mennonite Church today? Uh, clearly, uh, in Matthew 16, I will build, not maybe or perhaps, not a question of if and when, but I will build my church. We have that declared by Jesus himself. He will build. You know, as we think of building structures, there's many implications at play and factor into whether we get it accomplished or not. But with Jesus, as he thinks of building the church, he said, I will build and it will be done. Looking at the verses in, uh, in Hebrews uh, chapter 2, or chapter 8 rather, verse 2, I believe uh, Christ is uh, daily, hourly overseeing the building of his church. Notice in, eight, in chapter 8, verse 2, a minister of the sanctuary of the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched and not man. Uh, how about the sermons I prepare? How about the Sunday school lessons that you prepare to teach? Uh, how about the song selections that you, you select? Uh, you know, those are all part of building the church of Jesus Christ. You may not think about it in that way, but every sermon, every uh, devotional, every song selection, and every service that you participate in by attendance is part of build, is a part of building the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, and it's, it's, it goes on to describe... Uh, uh, as we think of God, Christ, daily, hourly, overseeing the building of his church, as he looks in on our lives as a small portion of his church, one small unit, God looks in, into our lives here at Prairie, and uh, he monitors how that growth is taking place. 
uh, is it growth that is good? Is it growth that is going to continue? Is it something that's foundational, something that we can build on and grow to a, uh, and can be used in his kingdom? Uh, as I think of uh, us as a spiritual family, as a congregational family, you know, our relationships, how do I get along with my brother and sister in the Lord? Uh, it's important how that horizontal relationships are impacted between each other. Does it matter how accurately I keep the financial records of the congregation? I think that's important. Uh, the minutes, etc. You know, it, it may be other things to you in your function or your role, but uh, I think it's important that we, we uh, do it with integrity. We do it with honesty. Uh, we do it as unto the Lord. It's His work. It's not my work. It's not who I am. But it's, it's, it's the work of the church. And that's what makes it important. Notice verse 10. I was impressed with this verse. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts. Do we have the blueprint for the church of Jesus Christ in our minds and in our hearts? I think we need to. Uh, notice verse 11. It says, And they shall teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother. That's part of the growth process that takes place in the church. We need to be ready to share that concept with our brothers and sisters in the Lord and those that we rub shoulders with. This is how I see it. This is how I understand the scripture. They shall teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, even from the least to the greatest. Uh, you know, the simplest sermon to the most uh, complex sermon. You know, they all have their place. The one that's the most doctrinal or theologically complex have their place. But, you know, it's we need to have that in our minds and in our hearts and understanding so that we can share that truth as we build our church. Do we teach and do others ask? So he is the builder, he's the designer. We give recognition to God, give recognition to Christ for that. Again, it's a blending together. We may have different concepts sometimes on how that works or the application of that, but again, it's, it's within the framework of the scriptures. Between the covers of this book that Jesus has entrusted to us, the principles of building his church, and he promised that he will build it. And it's important that we... Our concepts, our thoughts align with the truths of the, the Word of God. The second thing as I think about Jesus' role, God's role in building the church is He is the foundation. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. As I thought about foundations, you know, I thought of that that building in Dubai. You know, I wonder what that foundation looks like underneath. Uh, it has to be phenomenal. Uh, and, you know, as I said about adding, uh, you know, even a balcony in our church, you know, would that be possible? Or even adding another story. Uh, you know, we probably don't have the foundation to go real high. First uh, Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5. Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos? Or who is Arnie, and who is Dennis? Or who is Brian? Uh, you know, they were having somewhat of a discussion here. Uh, 
but ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then, neither is he that planteth anything, neither is he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man receive, shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, even ye are God's building, according to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder. I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth their own. But let every man take heed how he buildeth their own. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. I'll stop there. Jesus Christ is indeed the foundation. It's God's building. Notice that in verse 9. For we are labors together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. It's God's building that we are building today. It's not... Uh, our concept, our thoughts, but it's God working through our lives. Again, foundation, it's essential. A building that has a foundation, a good foundation, it's essential. It's important. Without a good foundation, it won't last. Uh, we don't have that to worry about. As we think of the foundation that Christ has laid, it's a good foundation. We can build upon it. And uh, we have no worry as to endurance and how long it will last. God has planned for that, in, that foundation to last and endure forever. Ephesians chapter 2 talks about him, gives the concept of him being the cornerstone. And it's a concept that we probably aren't maybe real familiar with uh, using it today. But in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 20 and, uh, through 22, And ye are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. There it uses the uh, adding to the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are built together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Why build the church of Jesus Christ? It's, it talks about us being uh, the habitation of God through the Spirit. It's, it's as we have the Spirit of God. That's in Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, he is the cornerstone. That concept of the cornerstone, I'm told, was... That was the concept by which all the other rest of the building took its alignment from. And Jesus Christ is that cornerstone. He is the foundation. He's the cornerstone of that foundation. And it's, it's through that that we take the rest of the structure is, is aligned and, and built upon. He is the cornerstone. Another concept we have as we think of Jesus building his church uh, is the fact that he is the door of this structure. And again, that's a familiar verse in John 10, verse, uh, John 10, verse 9. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Then also in Revelations chapter uh, 3, there's some other thoughts. You know, I did think about this. I thought about, well, we know how big to build a structure. We want to build it large enough to... Uh, contain all of the Christians from around the world. If we were going to build a structure, would, would we be, would know how big to build it? I don't know. Maybe could we go to Revelations and get some dimensions of heaven? I don't know. <laughs> that might take a little bit of uh, planning, but uh, I, I did think about that. I thought, well, remember to get some clues as to how big that structure has to be. We went to Revelations and uh, got some dimensions there. Uh, turning to Revelations chapter 3, Jesus here talking to the church at uh, Philadelphia, I believe it is, uh, talks about some other interesting things here in relation to the door. Uh, verses 7 and 8, he says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, 
These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that has the, hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it, for thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Now there, God is speaking specifically to a particular church, and he clearly tells them that he has the key to the door of their church. These things uh, saith he that is holy, he that is true. He hath the key of David, he that openeth, and no man shutteth. We do not necessarily... Uh, in our own strength, have the ability to open or close the door of the church, uh, as it were, as it's described here. And uh, God, in a sense, controls that door. He is the door. He is the only access into the church. Uh, while we believe the body of believers has a part and a role to play in that, in the acceptance of membership, but again, it's ultimately uh, within the pages of this book. As we observe testimony of lives and Christianity, the expression of Christianity in their lives and in applicants' members' lives. Uh, you know, the church does have some authority. But I'm impressed that Jesus actually, as we follow the, the guidelines of the Scripture, the guidelines of the truth of the Scripture, uh, and as we have the heart and mind of Christ, as we have His laws written in our mind and heart, we make the same determination as the Spirit of God Jesus is the only access into the church, into this structure, into this church. Uh, security, it talks about in John 10, verse 9, shall be saved. We enter in to be saved. We can go in and out and find pasture. Uh, I thought about that in, in relation to our experience here at Prairie. Are you finding nourishment at Prairie today? Are you finding nourishment at Prairie throughout the weeks, throughout the years? I thought of the the very, very common phrase, and it was in one of our schoolrooms that I attended. It says, enter to learn, leave to serve. Again, God doesn't expect us all to, you know, worship takes place here. We receive uh, nourishment, but then God expects us to go forth from this place and minister and serve Him in His kingdom throughout the world. Uh, are we entering to learn, and then are we willing to leave and serve So as we look at God, Christ's part in this building, He is the builder, He is the foundation, He is the cornerstone, He is the door. What is our part? What, what part does man play? I'd like to go back to the Old Testament, to the book of Joshua, read uh, a number of verses there, Joshua 1. Uh, Joshua was a man that God used as a minister for his work. Joshua 1, verses 5 through 9. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life, as I was with Moses. So I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Be strong and of good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide, shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do good, to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left that thou mayest prosper whither thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous and then shalt thou have good success." 
I like that verse. I like those verses there. He talks about uh, the book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, out of thy mouth but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Uh, thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. All that is written within the book, do we meditate in it? Do we observe to uh, make it part of our life? And following God's plan, as we think of, of our role as followers of God and builders of His church, we need to uh, follow God's plan for success. That's very clearly spelled out here in verse 8 as he spoke to Josh. He said, Then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then shalt thou have good success. The first thing I want to mention as I think is of our role is that I believe we need to preach the truth of the gospel. First Peter, you want to have church growth, you want to have true church growth, and it may not always be measured in numbers, but as we think of, of, of aligning our lives with the word of God, I believe we need to preach the truth of the gospel. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I want to read verses 16 through 19. It's the Apostle Paul preach, uh, teaching, reading, uh, writing here. It says, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for, uh, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will a dis dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me, what is my reward then? Verily that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, that I abuse not my power in the gospel. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself a servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And uh, I'll stop reading there. As I thought about preaching the truth of the gospel, you know, it's, it's something we take for granted a lot of times. Uh, you know, we have, we have the Word of God. Each of you has the Word of God probably in your hands this morning. You can follow along as I read. Am I preaching the truth of the gospel? Uh, I, I trust you follow along, and if I'm error or I do not say it correctly, I hope that you would correct me. Uh, I thought Webster, I said, okay, what's preaching mean? And, you know, it's something, again, we, we have it in our minds, but what Webster said this, he said to give earnest advice. And then he went on to say he said to talk in a wearying manner. How do you, <laughs> how do you relate them to? To give earnest advice and then to talk in a wearying manner. Well, that's probably two different definitions. You know, we use that term, he preached at me, and we were like, okay, I've had enough. <laughs> well, I hope I'm not preaching at you this morning in a wearying manner, but I am hope I'm preaching with you. I hope the Word of God is coming alive to you. I hope it's something that will, will make you want to be a builder of the church of Jesus Christ. Quite a range of styles. There is quite a range of styles of preaching. Dennis preaches different to me. Arnie preaches different to me. I preach different than the other two. And Brian preaches. We all preach different. We all have personalities. Uh, that doesn't mean we can't improve on them, uh, but uh, I hope that uh, as we preach the truth of the gospel, the key is, maybe not in the style, but the truth of the gospel. That's the key. That's our part. <clears throat> the second part that man plays in, in being building the church is that we need to live the truth of the gospel. So it's not just what is vocalized here Sunday mornings, uh, Wednesday evenings, whenever we're together. But it, it's how we live our lives. And this is, this is where the, you know, we say this is where the rubber meets the road. This is really what matters. And, you know, this is where we get caught many times short. Titus chapter 2, probably already knew the verses. 
Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, cells of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Living the truth of the gospel. And I don't know who I, I can, who, where I picked up these thoughts, but in these verses, as we think of living the truth of the gospel, there's three different graces amplified here. Notice it says in verse uh, 11, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. That's saving grace, okay? We have, if we're a church builder this morning, we have to have experienced saving grace. And then verse 12 is a different type of grace. It's, it's what I've borrowed from somebody else. It's described as living grace. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Not some world to come, not some world that, some fantasy world, but a world that says this present world. In all of its evil and wickedness, God expects you and me to be a testimony for Him. We are to live righteously, soberly, and godly in this present world. That's living grace. God gives us that living grace to do that in this present world. There's a third grace that's mentioned here, and that's in verse 13, and that's dying grace. That's grace that we're ready to lay down our mantle at the end of the course that we have run, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. And he might, uh, I'll stop there, but three different graces. It's the saving grace that takes place in our lives initially, and then it's the living grace that we, we express throughout our Christian walk. Uh, as we walk with Christ, we sang, He leadeth me. That's living grace, following him, our hand in his. And then the dying grace, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing. God has given us grace to pass through this journey, to be builders in his kingdom, to be builders of his church. Notice in verse 14, notice what Christ gave. Shouldn't we give, it says, who gave himself for us that, we, that he might redeem us from all all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Notice what he gave. Shouldn't we give our best and all in exchange for that? Verse 15, these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. We have a, we have a message to live. Not only preach, but we have a message to live. And it doesn't matter what age you are this morning, we need to live the truth of the gospel. God is counting on us to live that truth of the gospel out in this present world. The third thing that is our responsibility as building the church is that we need to be in the soul-winning business. I appreciate that song. I think it was number 240 that Wendon uh, led this morning. Wherever he's at. Uh, I appreciate that song very, very much. But we, as a church, as part of the mission of the church, to be in a soul-winning business. John 4, verse 35, reads like this. 
Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, and look in the fields, for they are white, all ready to harvest. Romans 10.1 As we think of being in the soul winning business, Romans 10.1 Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Uh, God is not willing that any should perish, and that's in Second Peter 3, verse 9. I think we mentioned it in the Sunday school, or in the devotional, I believe it was why I mentioned God is not willing that any should perish. And, and the church is the channel. The church is the, the organization through which he wants people to be brought into his, into his building, into his family. I had to think as I thought about you know, what we clearly have in the Word of God as to his love for mankind, how he, what he did. Can we, can I, can we look past the human nature and see the soul of eternal worth that God sees? Can I look past the human nature sometimes, how, regardless of how repulsive it may be, and see the soul of eternal worth that God sees. Christ died for that soul. This should be our prayer, I believe, as we relate as families. Uh, in our Sunday school classes, as we sing at the senior center or the nursing homes, uh, street meetings in Chicago or the Twin Cities, as we fold the reaching out, that should be our motivation as we think and see the souls that are impacted by that message. Can I look past the human nature, how horrible that may be, and how deplorable it may be, regardless of that, and see the soul that Christ died for? I believe that's necessary if we are going to be effective uh, in winning souls for the Lord Jesus Christ. The other, another point we need to be, as we think of our function in building church, we need to be cooperatives with Christ workers together. And I already read these verses, but I'm going to just look at them from a little different angle. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, okay, maybe that wasn't the verses I had read. It was somewhat the same thought. But 2 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, verse 1, We then as workers together with him beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. For he saith, I have heard of thee in a time accepted in the day of salvation. I have succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed. But in all things approving ourselves as the ministers of God. In much patience, in affliction, in necessities, in distress, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fastings. By pureness, by knowledge, by longsuffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by, law, by love unfeigned, by the word of Truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing all things. That sounds like kind of a paradox there as we read that passage of scripture. As we think of cooperating with God in building his church, it says we are workers together with him. What does it take to be a successful church builder? First of all, I think it's clear in verse 1 we need to join up with Christ. It's his work, it's his building. We already talked about that. This, verse 2 mentions about the opportunity. For he saith, I have heard, of, heard thee in a time accepted. 
And in the day of salvation, I am sucker thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. We need to have a concept of getting a hold of the opportunity that is ours today. Today is the time to build the church of Jesus Christ. We need to grasp that and build. Uh, not get distracted by personal details or personal preferences, but rather build the church of Jesus Christ according to the scripture that we have. Uh, Verse 3, it says, giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed. I looked at that verse and I thought, okay, what, what's he talking about there? Uh, I looked at the NIV and uh, I was impressed with uh, some of their thoughts. It said, not putting a stumbling block before them. Uh, helping others in the way. And I need to ask myself that question. Am I instrumental in, in helping others in the way? Giving no offense in anything that the ministry... Be not blamed. Uh, you know, hopefully and not knowingly, we, we lay a stumbling block down so that others would fall. We need to be careful in, in not doing that. I was impressed as I looked at verses 4 through 10, as the Apostle Paul here writing says, look at the list of what it, you know, what does it take to endure through all that? It says, uh, he talks about uh, having much patience. These are all things that play a role in building successfully the church of Jesus Christ. Afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments. You might say, well, we haven't experienced any of that. Well, probably not to the degree that the Apostle Paul did. Uh, he goes on and he lists uh, knowledge, long-suffering, kindness, uh, love unfeigned by the word of truth, by the power of God, the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left hand. Uh, honor and dishonor, evil report, good report, as deceivers yet true. Uh, there may be misunderstandings. Uh, people may misinterpret us, I believe. That's what he's talking about there. As known and yet well known, as dying, and behold, we live as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful yet rejoicing. So there's kind of a broad range of experience and ex experiences and expressions that take place in building that this structure. But I like the way he ends verse 10. He says as having nothing, yet possessing all things. So in, in one sense, we, we, we are builders together with Christ, and sometimes it may appear as if we have nothing, but yet if we are, if you this morning are a builder of the church of Jesus Christ, I believe you can get a hold of that last part of verse 10, and it says, and yet possessing all things. You have something that cannot be taken away from you if you are a part, if you are a builder in the church of Jesus Christ. Another thing I say, I thought about our role, I thought of Romans chapter 12. Again, very familiar portion of Scripture. It takes consecration. It takes dedication. Uh, Romans 12, verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. God is a reasonable builder. And uh, as he employs you in building his church, you can give your lives as a living sacrifice in building that church. Uh, that's what God wants. He wants uh, our respect. Uh, it talks about dedication. It talks about commitment. Do I have that this morning as I think of building the church of Jesus Christ? Well, in conclusion, the third thing that I thought about, we have Christ's role, we have our role. The third thing I thought about was you know, there's, there's not a building structure built today that there is not 
that doesn't come under building codes, inspections, uh, electrical inspections, mechanical inspections, uh, environmental impact studies. Uh, you know, these all play a role. And I suppose if we were going to construct a 2,722-foot tower here, you know, probably the environmental impact would probably, <laughs> that's where we'd get caught for sure, you know, destroy the look of the prairie. But, uh, and maybe some more besides that, probably destroy our, our mission. As I thought about, you know, really what is inspection? It's, it, it's the idea of looking. It's, a, it's the idea of, of being vigilant. It's the idea of being observant that we're building according so that it's, uh, it, it's safe. It's according to what the builders had designed it. And uh, so as I think about the building code, I thought about the, the different looks that we have in the scripture. i like to uh, just go through these uh, very fairly fast. I believe, first of all, in John 1, uh, verse 29, as we think of uh, the first inspection, we need to, first of all, look to Jesus. And this is a very simple verse, and it's uh, at Jesus coming to John the Baptist, John 1, verse 29. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. Again, that should be our focus as we think of, of, of building a church. It's John saw it. He saw Jesus as the Lamb of God. We need to keep that in focus. That's our mission. That's our goal. Uh, everything we do, every function, every activity, is that the Lamb of God would be, would be exalted and glorified. People would be brought to salvation. Look to Jesus. That's part of the inspection criteria of building His church. Introducing people to Jesus bringing them to a commitment and a walk with Him. There's another look that we need to look, and that's in 1 Corinthians. We look at these, this scripture oftentimes at our council service, and I, I like to say we need to inspect daily our own lives. Uh, we, uh, this verse here is, like I said, mentioned oftentimes in relation to our council service. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 28, But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. Uh, we have a personal responsibility to look within ourselves, examine ourselves. We need to look within, look to Jesus, look within as we see Jesus. And is my life, am I examining, do I examine my life? Not only twice a year, but daily. There's another look in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, 2 verses 13 and 14. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's the forward look. We need to plan, and that's what we're talking about in our meeting too, Stephen. We need to plan, we need to look ahead. Uh, again, I believe the, uh, the Apostle Paul here writing to the Philippians was, was looking, he's giving his personal testimony, and he's saying he's looking forward with anticipation. Uh, we need that forward look to motivate us and to keep us going on. Psalms 121 is the upward look. And again, that's very closely tied to the forward look. Psalms 121, verses 1 and 2. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills, from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord which made heaven and earth. Again, where are we looking for our solutions? Are we looking to the Lord? It needs to be an upward look. 
There's another look in Ephesians in the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 15 talks about, uh, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. That's the, the look around you. God expects us to be observant. See that you walk circumspectly. Well, there is a downward look. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. And I, I've entitled this the look of humility. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. It's important to, I believe, sometimes realize that we know where we stand, that we are careful, that we do not become exalted and fall. We need to have that uh, caution. Luke chapter 22 is the backward look. And I, I say this again with with caution. I believe it's okay to look forward. I mean, we should look forward, but and backward is okay too. We need we can learn from history. Luke chapter 22, verse 19. And this is on the premises of Christ giving us this memorial. And he took bread and gave thanks and break it and gave unto them, saying, This is my body which is given unto you. This do in remembrance of me. He wants us to look back to that event, the price we uh, have cost that backward look of looking back for the right reasons. Well, the blueprint for successful church growth starts with God, and he wants you and me to help in building that church. Are you willing? No task too great, no task too small. Uh, we do not want to become distracted with committees or roles in committees, but together we want to be builders in building the church of Jesus Christ. I challenge you to rise to that call this morning.